Welcome to Reach, your platform to connect with other executive assistants and acquire game-changing knowledge and perspective. Reach is designed to inspire your workday, guide you through pivotal moments in your career, and transform you into the executive assistant you've always wanted to be. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Reach. This is your host, Jessica Van. I'm the founder and CEO of Maven Recruiting Group, and I have a long-anticipated guest um, joining me in the studio today, Natasha Rodriguez. Hi, Natasha. Hi, Jessica. So nice to have you on a program. Thanks for being with us. Thank you for having me. I'm excited to be here. Good, 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 good. So um, as I mentioned, we have Natasha with us today. She's joining us from Brooklyn, New York. Natasha has been the business operations manager at iSwoon, working with the renowned Athena Calderon, who is dubbed as the modern girl's Martha Stewart by none other than the New York Times. Hello, that's pretty, pretty amazing. <laughs> Our listeners may very well know Athena, especially with the holidays coming up. I feel like, you know, she's kind of everyone's go-to guru for what to do with your holiday table. But um, our listeners may know Athena as chef and also author of the James Beard award-winning cookbook called Cook Beautiful, or perhaps you're also familiar with her work as an interior designer, her book Live Beautiful, or maybe you've seen one of her brilliant design pieces on Crate and Barrel's website, a recent collaboration that she did. There's no denying that Athena has had tremendous growth in her brand um, and has experienced you know, just astronomical um, brand uh, attraction and expansion in the last few years. Icewind has over a million followers on Instagram, and she's recently pivoted from media and lifestyle to also adding an e-commerce line. So now you can also shop her stylish curation of beautiful objects for the home and the kitchen at uh, www.i-swoon.com. So um, our REACH listeners know that we've had a wide range of EAs on our program who've supported CEOs and business owners and celebrities and first ladies and government officials and influencers and athletes and all kinds of people. But today we're really excited to add chef, designer, and author to the list, um, thanks to Natasha being here. And we're really excited for you to give us a glimpse into your really exciting everyday world of supporting such an accomplished person. So um, first question for you, Natasha, and I, I love asking this because I think that when, when you're in a seat such as yours, which clearly is kind of, I would assume, the envy of many, many people, right? I mean, working at the helm of all things that are beautiful and stylish and trending, and there's this, you know, um, uh, juxtaposition to kind of the celebrity world as well. I mean, it, it's a really... Um, sought-after seat that you're in. So I think to start us off, we'd love to know how, how is it that you landed in this role and what's the story of, um, of beating out the competition? Long story short is I actually got the role on a LinkedIn posting, um, but I when I first found the role opportunity with iSoon, I was working for a textile house and traditionally I've been in sales and operation roles um, and when I saw that I had this opportunity to work in a place that 
marry both of my own passions, which is the intersection of design and food, which of course Athena is so known for, um, then it was kind of just you know going for that role and and giving it a try. And most recently, we've actually hired a full-time EA after my role kind of evolved. And upon seeing that influx of so many people that applied for the role and that would line up for it, I was even more honored to have gotten it from the start because I thought, wow, like I came through through all of those candidates as well. So, um, yeah. so it was really special to see it in retrospect too. Yeah. Well, if LinkedIn has not reached out to you to be a sponsor, <laughs> an influencer for their brand, I think that, I think that call is coming because I can't imagine, you know, literally like just goes to show you what incredible things can arise from following the the LinkedIn trail, so to speak. That's pretty amazing. So just out of curiosity, how many applications were there for your position to, well, rather to replace um the executive assistant position now that you've grown into the, the business manager role? I think I could safely say about 200 applicants. Yeah. Wow. Wow. That's Definitely. Impressive. Yeah. That's impressive. Well, I have to say just in prepping for today, um, you know, I, I lit a candle in the, in my office and I'm like, you know, I, I looked for some branches, but I didn't have an appropriate vase to put them in, but I really wanted to channel kind of the essence of of Athena and what she represents and this whole beautiful, you know, kind of the idea of like this simple sort of wabi-sabi um, eclectic beauty and like a really kind of grounded beauty and um, also kind of an imperfect beauty in a way, you know, like she's not, I feel like she's striving for realism more than perfection in, in, some, in some senses. But I'm curious, like, Working in, in, in her realm and working in as part of her brand, I mean, do you feel a pressure to kind of show up, you know, in a certain way or have like a really um, just, you know, keen sense of what's trending and what's hot and, and to be really, really, really in the loop on those things? Like, how does that affect you? Yeah, I mean, that's a beautiful question because I think it's it's so appropriate for someone like Athena, who's a true creative, where she really revels in finding those moments of beauty that are unexpected, whether it's a dry branch or, you know, something very antique and in a patina that you wouldn't consider in a modern space, you know? Um, and I think like attracts like and I'm lucky to work with a team that we all already kind of live in that life, you know, and have been attracted to Icewoon and working with Athena because of having those things in common. So rather than feeling pressure, I think it's more, you know, we just all kind of naturally dance at that cadence already that, that mm. she obviously so wonderfully represents. Mm -hmm. That's just, That must be such an exciting thing to work with people that, as you say, so, so eloquently, you know, dance at the same cadence or kind of at the same rhythm. Um, it just seems like there's sort of a natural harmony in that. Yes, definitely. So Athena doesn't have just one focus, as we you know alluded to in the intro. She's a woman of many crafts and many talents and, and many interests. When you were her EA and, and even now in your, in your current role as business manager, how do you divvy up your time across these various ventures? Um, and I think that, you know, there, there's definitely 
some value here for other EAs who are managing a lot of different competing elements. And it might not be the same sort of vertical that she's in, but this idea of really having to um, triangulate your time and, and parse your time effectively and keep track of so many different things. Um, how did you do that? And what are some of the systems and, and um, protocols that you've developed? Yeah, so I think the most important thing for me has always been, of course, to stay super organized, especially in a creative world where there are several things happening at the same time. It's always remembering to be that like grounding force and in, and creating those systems for myself in order to keep the others that are involved in the creative process also organized. Um, and really in, in our world, there's so many evolving priorities. So because we do so much, there's always kind of what needs to be prioritized over the others. While everything is a priority, it's just understanding and, and owning the responsibility of this is what's important today and that's where the focus will be so that I can do that to the best of my abilities and give it the quality that it deserves while also, you know, kind of keeping things going on the other priorities that are happening in the background. So definitely just keeping organized and while sometimes in a creative world, the organized one tends to kind of be like the the bad guy, you know, saying this is what needs to be done in order right. for that to be the done. The one that's so, like forcing the timelines and the yeah. budgets and yeah, totally. 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 <laughs> so that's or, you, huh? Kind of, absolutely, you know, kind of like reminding everyone of the things that have to happen for that bigger, beautiful thing to happen. Um, mm-hmm. And, you know, keeping the maypole, you know, spitting. So would you dare to have like carve outs for certain days? Like, okay, this is the day where we're focusing on whatever, you know, the, the, our, our, our latest um, e-commerce, you know, drop. Or on these days we focus on um, the book and publishing and distribution. Or is it really just kind of whatever arises and then organizing and prioritizing in accordance with that? Yeah, I think we definitely have like a general sense of um, of when a certain project is happening and which ones are overlapping and when something needs to be prioritized over the other. Um, but I definitely find it important to still weave in certain um, certain processes while not removing the fun and the openness of being creative. Yeah. You know, so mm-hmm. so knowing that, you know, on a Friday, there's like this um, address kind of to the team of here's what's happening on this side of the business, here's what's happening there, just kind of keeping those things as expected, where let's say the creative process may a lot of things be unpredicted and unexpected, but we all know that on Monday and on Fridays, we have these moments of touch point to be when we'll all kind of have our moment to mention something or speak to something in more detail on a unified front before, you know, jumping into a, a new week with a lot of different priorities and just communicating. Yeah. Yeah. And um, I think it's interesting, you know, as you mentioned, working with creatives, and I, I think that a lot of our listeners, while they may not support someone who is, let's say, a creative um, per se, they may support someone who is certainly an innovator uh, or an entrepreneur or somebody who is a visionary 
And I think that those are all sort of strands um, on the spectrum or those are all sort of individuals on the spectrum of, of creativity and the creative process, whatever it may be. And I, I often hear, you know, executive assistants will say things like, it's really important for my boss that they can just have time carve outs, you know, to just just be alone in whatever format works for them. So if solitude is what really stimulates their creativity or solace or quiet or whatever, but they, they really make an effort to protect that time because they know that the role of visionary requires sort of some form of ideation. They can't just be in kind of constant driving mode and execution mode because that's really counter to their identity as a visionary. Do you do you also feel like that applies to Athena? And is that something that, that you all consider in terms of how you partner with her? Oh yeah, 100%. I think um, that's something that we've been more strict with for sure now with so many other new things kind of coming into the fold is having making sure she has like certain blocks for creative time um and it's more for that kind of like cognitive moment of knowing this is what i'm focusing right now i'm aware that there are all these other things happening but from now until 2 p.m this is what i'm focusing on and i think just that kind Mm of mental rest of knowing that Mm -hmm. this is your focus now and then other things can be tended to afterwards i think that alone is allows for that moment to be solely focused on that creative endeavor and then being able to know that at 2 p.m. I will tend to the other things. Um, Mm -hmm. So block time, I find it truly, truly super valuable, even to the point where I'll do it for myself too. You know, if I have to do billing or if I have to review Mm -hmm. a secondary inbox, um, I love to block that in my calendar as well learning from that from a creative perspective and then applying it into more of an operational perspective totally and what does her creative process look like like is it is it just sort of quiet time or is it taking a walk through i don't know central park (laughs) whatever the case may be yeah i find that found that really to be interesting because where i find myself to be more of a quiet creative I loved being in the environment that I'm in now where it's more of, um, you know, uh, a bigger bang of a creative process where it's, if it has to do with something that Athena needs to think about and create and kind of bring that, I, the idea or the concepts out of her mind, um, then it's absolutely, you know, her sitting alone, dedicating several days to what that one focus for that one creative project is. Um, Mm -hmm. But then there's also really wonderful collaborative nature in her where she wants to sit next to another fellow creative to bounce back ideas, to, you know, build off of a certain concept. Um, So it really kind of depends, but the process seems to have both of those things, you know, both the solitude, you know, closing off and really diving into this one concept or working in tandem with the team or another creative that we bring on board to Mm -hmm. truly, you know, get something to where she truly wants to see it. Yeah. Yeah. So, and I apologize, Natasha, I've been calling you the business manager, but that's not actually accurate. Your, your title is head of operations. So my apologies for the, the miss, uh, the misnomer there, but tell us more about what is on your plate as the head of operations for such a multifaceted operation? 
So at the moment, the business, um, we've really been focusing on um, building out what what is the product. And with our last launch in December of our e-com, um, our e-com platform, that's really been a lot of my focus this past year is, um, you know, kind of part buyer, part uh, Shopify expert, part vendor relations, mm-hmm. um, part mm-hmm. sample librarian, you know, a little bit of everything, like very mm-hmm. true to the, hy- the multi-hyphenate environment that we're in. Um, mm-hmm. And then, of course, there are the other things like due diligence, accounting, um, liaisoning with our head of finance, and just kind of general upkeep of anything having to do with um, administrative responsibilities of the business. Mm-hmm. Great. And what about as an executive assistant supporting Athena? Um, I mean, obviously, there's kind of the traditional support tasks that everybody would expect to be under that umbrella, calendar, travel, meeting prep, um, meeting coordination, you know, kind of those sorts of things. But were there any anything, um, any tasks or responsibilities outside of the expected that were somewhat unique to supporting her? Yeah, I think the top two that I can think of that are unique to supporting Athena are um, holding accountability of things like brand partnerships. You know, when we have certain deliverables that we have to meet, making sure that all of the um, all of the processes kind of line up and we have all of the deliverables based on the timelines that we're given. And then outside of brand partnerships, um, it's also creative production, which I think is more of the the you know the most exciting piece of coming on board as an EA to a creative like Athena is you know being the one who is in charge of managing the whole creative team drawing up call sheets making sure we have all of the props in line before a certain production aligning with our team internally and making sure everybody who owns something um, is on top of it for that day so um, outside of all of the you know traveling calendar coordination I think the 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 other multi-hyphenate aspects of you know part producer part stylist part you know xyz that comes into mm-hmm. making something happen you know mm-hmm. yeah absolutely the the brand partnerships is a really interesting aspect of of um her business i think and i mean we mentioned in the beginning there's things like um CB2 that, that she's in a collaboration with. I mean, how do those things come about as someone on, that's on the inside track? Is there anything that you can share about kind of how, how, those, how those partnerships come together, kind of what that process looks like before the rest of us as consumers get to see the kind of the beautiful outcome of the, of the collaboration? Well, Athena is very lucky to have an amazing team, a powerhouse team around her. She has mm-hmm. an incredible manager. She has a wonderful PR company, and it really is a you know a small colony mm-hmm. behind all of that. Before you see you know the output, it really is yeah. a lot of points of view, evaluation. Um, you know, making sure something is super brand aligned and that it's something that mm-hmm. Dana can personally be an ambassador for, which is the most important thing. Um, given that her career is obviously gotten to where it is given that people are so drawn to you know what is she doing what is she wearing what does she like to buy what does she like to eat so making sure that we keep true to those values um and so that the audience always knows that 
you know, we stand behind and that the brand stands behind everything that's being put out there. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think that's a really important point, Natasha, because I think that, you know, I'll just speak as a as a you know, member of the public or consumer base or whatever, whatever it is I represent, um, it's it's very off-putting and I would say jarring when you see partnerships that really don't seem to have a natural sort of affinity, um, <laughs> and they they seem they just seem forced or quite honestly, I mean, I, I hate to use the word, but they seem like a sellout, right? Where they just seem like, huh. Like what, why did this come together as it did? And I think that what's really um, noteworthy about how carefully all of you have, have really managed the brand and ensured that alignment is that it really does feel aligned. And um, you know, that, was, that was your word and I think that's a really excellent word choice because it, it, it really, it, it appears that way. You know, it, it's not, um, there's a lot of congruity in in all of those facets. Definitely, yeah. Even even internally as a team, we we absolutely live in that way too, where we see more of ourselves as kind of like a steward to the brand. You know, it's not mm -hmm. something that we're clocking in and clocking out due to you know certain tasks we have to do. We we truly are, you know part of the audience and also part of her demographic. So it's only so appropriate to, to be able to be on the inside with that perspective as also being part of that demographic and, and giving the input internally so that mm -hmm. the output is, you know, so much more aligned. Yeah. Yeah. And it does sound like it's from what you've shared, it does sound like it's a very much a feedback driven culture, or at least there's, there's definitely this collaborative element where, um, that, that kind of discussion is, is encouraged and fostered. So I'm curious, you know, when, when you were describing your role, I mean, you mentioned just a, a really broad set of responsibilities. You touched on, you know, everything from accounting to curating the sample library to being the in-house Shopify expert to liaising with finance. I mean, there's just, there's a lot to it looking at brand. Um, how, how did you... I guess, how did you prepare yourself for a role as vast as this? And what have been some of the learnings or kind of learning gaps that you've had to overcome to be able to continue to ascend in your position and, and really continue to bring maximum value? So very true to how Athena is and her background on, you know, being a young mother and finding her creative voice through all of these other things and not understanding truly, you know, what is kind of my calling, but then realizing, you know, my calling doesn't have to be one thing. I could be all of these things. And I think that a lot of EAs feel that way too, where they may have a non-traditional background, but at some point, all of these stars align in our careers where they ultimately make sense with something, with something that we'll do in the future. And sometimes that doesn't read that way on a, you know, on a resume it may need a support of a cover letter or, you know, someone that, you know, who could kind of voice who you truly are and your archetype in order to prove that you're worthy of, let's say, a, a role that on paper you may not be fitted for. Um, mm -hmm. And I think with my background, a lot of those stars aligned for the role that I came into at iSoon where I've worked in admin at an art gallery. I've worked in sales 
at a fantastic textile company, worked for trade, worked in retail, um, have been support at a family office and has have been a nanny and PA during college, you know, all of these Mm -hmm. things that if you put them on a list, someone may (laughs) say, you know, okay, so what are you but I think that all of those things, all of those experiences have just kind of perfectly married together into this kind of wedge in the industry that I've created for myself of being Mm -hmm. in operations, but also in product and understanding product and understanding customers. And um, yeah, so I think it, it really is about all of these kind of aligning moments in your life. Mm-hmm. And then a role may be perfectly fitted for all of those different moments. Yeah, yeah, that's a really, really, really lovely characterization. I mean, in all of those transitions that you described and all those different roles, I mean, were you sort of just, were you following your your heart in those decisions? Were you following, um, were you chasing a particular, you know, set of skills that you wanted to acquire? Were you following an instinct or an intuition? Like what, what kind of guided those things? Because as you point out, they are somewhat eclectic, but yet in this role that you exist in right now, they're just beautifully aligned, right? (laughs) But at the moment they might've felt discombobulated. So how did you, is how did you navigate that? Yeah, what was I the think governing one, wisdom? Yeah. One, someone told me one time that when you're manifesting for something that you want next, it's not about like, what do you, what do you want, right? Like the actual material thing. They said, how do you want to feel in that accomplishment? And I remember that really hitting me because I thought rather than me thinking oh, in my next role, I want to be the, you know, executive assistant of a VC founder, you know, kind of mm-hmm. very specific. I liked to think about how do I want to feel in my new role? What do I want my days to look like? And I think that's very appropriate in the home industry where I personally am physically want to be in a beautiful space. So mm. there's only a perfect alignment if you think about it of using the superpower of like organization and operations and administration, but in an environment that you truly want to be in, especially since we work so, um, you know, X amount of hours in life and, you know, why, why not make those hours beautiful and feel like you want your life to feel like. So Mm -hmm. that one piece of advice a few years ago is just like, that's it. You know, how do you want to feel in the next moment mm-hmm. rather than like, what do you want that to look like? Yeah, I really like that. And I, I do think that that those types of questions tap into a much deeper plane of our existence, decision making compass, you know, uh, fulfillment index, like all those things. That's, that's when it starts to get, I think, interesting and juicy and revealing is when you really kind of contemplate at that level. So I think that's a really wonderful takeaway and, um, and wisdom for, for everybody today that's listening. So um, looking back at, you know, your time in support of kind of this, this person, this persona, really. She's more than a person. She's a persona. Um, and one thing that I think that really comes across very loud and clear in her brand is just the importance of her family and her family unit and the centrality of her husband and her son and, you know, um, just that that kind of nucleus. 
So how did that impact when you were supporting her? Um, how did you kind of manage balancing the person with the persona, the individual with the business owner, especially because they are very, very blended, right? I mean, as you said, people look to her as a trendsetter and, you know, what she wears suddenly becomes a trend and, and that's just her kind of being her. But how did you think about that and how did you kind of account for balancing in those areas? I think that knowing that and not thinking that they have to be separate really helped me, you know, where I remember coming from a more traditional corporate background and coming into a true, true lifestyle brand and thinking, oh, there is no separation of like church and state here. Like this is, Mm -hmm. this is her life is her brand and vice versa. So, so really understanding that and, um, and kind of just releasing that really helps in understanding the holistic way that you look at everything else, you know, whether we have a brand partnership and there's a musical component, oh, how can we get Vic involved to, you mm. know, put a, a nice mix together for the background, you know, or, um, or also the idea that we are physically a team in her home, you know, being, being really cognizant of that and, and respectful of that. This is the home, but this is also a place of business. And it's a really interesting world to tap into when you first get into it and you're not used to that, you know, you, you're used to, you know, leaving at five and, and, you know, you don't speak to your team until nine the next morning when you see again. And I think there's Mm. like an ebb and flow in between those lines in the lifestyle brand of world. Um, Mm. But again, it's, it kind of, it works if you are truly part of that lifestyle too. Natasha, hearing you describe your um, your work environment, I don't think I actually realized that you work out of Athena's personal home. So when I first came on the team, we were working out of Athena's then townhouse, um, which she's moved out of. And then now we kind of alter in between working from home, working from her new Tribeca apartment, which is super mm-hmm. exciting, mm-hmm. as well as our Icewind studio space. Wow, that is... When you talked about working in a beautiful space, I, I truly get it now. Wow, that's probably <laughs> the most the most coveted <laughs> place to work out of, I can I can imagine. Wow. Well, and of course, the apartment that she moved from is like legendarily famous. Maybe you can tell our listeners a little bit about that one. Yes, about the new apartment? Well, both. The one that she, the first one that she did that became just like the most, what was it, like the most saved looks in all of Pinterest? Yes. So Athena's Brooklyn townhouse was, of course, iconic. It was a stunner. And I remember my first time walking in, I thought this is even more breathtaking than the pictures. Mm. Um, Funny enough, I became familiar with Athena due to Pinterest and because I saw her kitchen and I thought, wow, this is exactly what I want to look like, you know? Um, And yes, the house was incredible. Of course, so sad to have seen it gone. Um, It's in the lucky hands of a whole new, you know, world now. Um, Mm -hmm. But it was just, you know, everything you would expect in person and truly, truly, I think just became an icon. And Mm -hmm. I think, you know, makes it more, more of a, a, a challenge to beat, you know, to see what what's done with the next place. Yeah. But I think that's that's exactly it too, is that, you know, there's sort of this 
as a creative person, it's, you know, there's always kind of this desire to keep innovating and, and, um, and trying new things. And I think I, I read something where she was like, yeah, like I, I just kind of got, it was like how she was seeing her looks repeated everywhere. It's like she had to get away from her own look, which had become such a sort of universal, you know, um, aesthetic. It was like, ah, so she had to, she had to, you know, diverge from that, which is kind of, imagine being so influential that everything starts to look like you. And that's, it's pretty kind of surreal. I would imagine. Um, great. Well, um, I, I was also curious, um, you know, when we talk about kind of this, this brand and, um, just sort of this insatiable demand for, you know, next and new and different. And, and we just talked about, the, you know, her, her new Tribeca home and, and how that's kind of her new project. But how, how do you guys keep up with that? I mean, I feel like this, this whole realm of brand and design and particularly with, with personas, it's, it's just such a constant kind of insatiable um, demand for content and new and uh, new ideas. I mean, does that pace impact you guys? Does that do you feel that kind of constant con consistency and constancy in your work? What is how does that translate to the internal operations? Yeah, I think that that actually ties back to what we were just saying about the, you know, her feeling of the how influential the townhouse was and wanting and needing to move on to something new. I think internally, even we don't necessarily need to do like the content that's trending. You know, it's more what what's going to be next. You know, what what is the new palette that Athena has been tasting recently? You know, and I think that that's also part of that creative process, you know, of like having this thought, executing on it, and then, you know, in a way kind of getting over it and moving on to something new, but also still true to the aesthetic that you, you strive for. And I think in a way it's kind of like a, a blessing and a curse, you know, because it's a blessing because, you know, it's all up to like what's happening in Athena's creative mind. What does she predict is going to happen next? What is she loving next? How are we going to translate that into the brand? But also in a way, kind of that, that curse of like, what are we going to do next? <laughs> you know, mm -hmm. like, are people going to love it as much as what we did before? Um, and that kind of battle of wanting to stay relevant and, um, and having people be able to relate to it and for it to be accessible but also wanting to be like cutting edge and new and innovative. Right. And that's, I think that's a really interesting thing because, and correct me if I'm wrong, but I think that her first home, this, the incredible success that it had and, and just how much it tapped into kind of this universal design consciousness, right. That, that, that the, the, the mass has, was somewhat unexpected, right? Like she was just doing her and, oh, it just happened to be that there was this incredible attraction to her, her, her work. And now there's this expectation, right? Because it was so incredibly successful um, and so popular and so well-liked. And so now it's almost like, wow, you know, approaching that whole design process anew, but with the added layer and pressure of expectation. Yeah, I mean, I have zero doubt it is going to like blow it out of the water. 
And there's something like so beautiful and romantic because it's like so true to the artist, you know, it's like their phases, you know, mm. like, oh, that was their like tortured dark stage. This was their bright and happy stage and all of their mm-hmm. paintings kind of reflect where they were in life. And I think Athena's homes, like that's her art, you know, so that's going to be so beautifully reflected in her next home on mm. how she feels and this stage in her life, you know, so yeah. I can't just from the little peaks of inspiration and in the big right. that I've seen, I, I can't, I can't imagine it's not going to be yeah. incredible. Yeah. Yeah. I'm sure. So what's not to put you on the spot, but what is one of the, I guess, greatest tips that you're taking from the, the time that you've, you know, worked together with Athena and, and continuing to work with her, obviously, but what's one of the greatest tips from a kind of design perspective that you've garnered that you'd be willing to share with the rest of us? I think finding beauty in the unexpected. It could be so simple, but but the smallest thing that may have, you know, rusted or found its patina over the years, you know, placing it and styling it with the right other thing and not thinking about trends or what everybody else is doing, but kind of making it your own. And of course, getting great lighting, I think mm-hmm. um, really, you know, I think it's very underestimated, you know, how these like simple pieces and even, you know, I'm sure a lot of people can relate where they have like an heirloom of their family that they have and, you know, they kind of had it hidden in a drawer. But one day you notice, oh, that looks really good on this coffee table book in mm. this corner. And suddenly it's like this new, you know, refreshed Moment. corner of your home. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that's great. And it gives everybody a chance to kind of look at what they already have with maybe a renewed appreciation or renewed perspective. For sure. Yeah. And there's there's constantly that search for like, what am I buying that's new? And I think one thing that I soon as a brand does is, you know, how to take what you have and make them new moments, you know, mm-hmm. give new life to certain unspoken spaces. Yeah. And the beauty of a pear. I think I read something about, you know, just put some fruit out. Yes. <laughs> it's pear season, people. Bartlett pears are everywhere. Um, yes. yes. Or a pomegranate. <laughs> or a, a pomegranate. pomegranate. Is a there pomegranate anything... will make a moment. It will truly Literally. make a moment. <laughs> I mean, there is no color more beautiful, I think, in, in nature than that garnet, that red garnet of a pomegranate. Come mm-hmm. on. So I have a final question for you, which is what we ask of all of our guests. And that is, if you could support anyone in the world throughout the course of history, who would you choose to support and why? I love listening to all you guys' answers. I really, truly do. And this is to all of the, <laughs> <laughs> all of the past attendees. Um, this is hard because I think this is more of a personal passion rather than like a strategic career answer. I would absolutely love to support Francis Maman. Um, he's a fantastic Argentinian chef. Um, and I just love the kind of like poetry and orchestral way that he does his craft and um, the way that he works with his team and open fire. And I think it would just be such a curious environment to work in. Yes. Is he the one who he has like a master master class about cooking with over over flames and things like that? Yes. Is that him? Yeah. Yeah. Yes. Yes. Small cabin in Patagonia. And yes. 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 <laughs> oh, I'm totally yes. Every time I see him, I'm like, what? This guy is amazing. Like he has such a um, 
such a vision and really unique, like really, really unique way of, of assembling dishes. Yeah. Sure. Have you yeah, tasted any of his food? I've been to his restaurant in Miami, um, but I can't say that I've tasted his food like from his hands. No. From his hands. Oh, well, that's a future aspiration. I'm affirming that for, for you. Sure. <laughs> we're, we're manifesting that for you. That's great. I love that. Yeah, I obviously have a type. <laughs> yes, you do. Yes, you do. And it's a good type, I have to say. Opens a lot of interesting possibilities for your life. So excellent. Well, this has been so fun. I, I really enjoyed our conversation. It's been a really enriching and um, unexpected in many ways. I think that, you know, some of the insights that you've shared about just, you know, alignment and kind of following, um, following the feelings, right? Kind of chasing those feelings and how that's really governed your career has a really, a, a really beautiful, inspiring um, moment that I'm going to take from this conversation. But thank you so much. I really had fun chatting with you. It's been really, really delightful. Likewise, Jessica, this has been so fun. Thank you again for having me. And I hope that, you know, everyone listening finds those stars. You know, I know it's sometimes it's tough out there in the EA world trying to find a role that feels fitting to your soul. So they absolutely exist. You are a proof of that. Thank you, Natasha. Reach is brought to you by Maven Recruiting Group, who specializes in placing executive assistants and support staff to the Bay Area's most prominent executives and companies. If you've enjoyed being part of our podcast community and are interested in becoming part of our candidate community, we're currently hiring for roles in San Francisco, Silicon Valley, and Los Angeles. You can visit us at www.mavenrec.com to see some of the roles we're currently working on and to submit your resume.